This episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast is sponsored by Loot Crate. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box that is full of awesome geek and gamer items, as well as pop culture gear. For less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items that include t-shirts, collectibles, and a unique one-of-a-kind items. Pop culture is full of brave new worlds and societies in flux that don't always turn out for the best. And June's theme will be exploring some of the ways things can go wrong with dystopia. Featuring classic RoboCop, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and The Matrix, and new favorites like Bioshock Infinite and Fallout 4, they've got a cool figure, cool collectibles, and of course, a dystoporific monthly t-shirt. Still there, dystoporific. Here's the important part. You have until June 19th at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive this month's crate. If you miss the deadline, you are out. You're going to miss out on the dystopian crate. So make sure you head over to lootcrate.com spoilers, enter the code spoilers, and save $3 on any new subscription. Really, it's that easy. Then all you have to do, sit back and wait for the awesome Loot Crate to arrive at your door, and enjoy. Remember, head to lootcrate.com slash spoilers. Use the code spoilers to save $3 off your new subscription. Thank you, Loot Crate, for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Yay, podcast night! This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans, just like you. And you. It. And you. It. It. <laughs> This is you. It is you. A big change in how many of us get our comic books. A tooth and nail battle between Citrus and Pomacious. And a heap and help on the major spoilers perspective on all that's popping in your culture. Titans are reborn. Heroes are first. Heads are jugged or something. Plus, into any generation, a show is born. One podcast in all the world. A chosen one. So, thanks for choosing this one. You won't regret it. The major spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 681 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing this episode with a friend. And thank you, everyone, who's using that Amazon link at Majorspoilers.com for all of your purchases. Remember, it doesn't cost you anything extra, but a little bit comes back our way and allows us to keep this show going week after week. This week, we will be taking a look at Buffy, the high school years, Freaks and Geeks, the trade paperback from Dark Horse Comics. It's a bit later in the show, but first, we have some news. We've got three items for this week, and then, of course, we will spin the magic wheel of destiny. Uh, the first one is Hastings is in trouble. Mr. T is coming to Lego Dimensions, and Donald Glover has been cast in a secret role for Spider-Man Homecoming. Let's spin that wheel of destiny. Let's see where we land. And there it lands right there on Hastings is in trouble. Now, for those of you who don't know what a Hastings is, it doesn't surprise you surprise me because it's a it's a chain store it's got about 126 locations nationwide mostly in mid-sized cities uh, but Hastings is kind of your books movies games and more store mm-hmm. and um, we have had one here in our local city for maybe 10 years something mm-hmm. like that uh, but 
Word came out on Friday and then again uh, kind of confirmed it today when they filed for bankruptcy that the company's in a bit of trouble. They are deeply in the hole. Now, I had – the weird thing is, and I had been asking this for, for probably a couple months now. I don't know if, if I'd asked you, Rodrigo, maybe even before you left, maybe a year. But our local Hastings was running like really odd sales at odd times of the year. Like most of the time you think a sale would come during a holiday – a major gift-giving time, back to school, graduation, that kind of stuff. But no, all of a sudden, just in the middle of a week, they'd pop up a 50% off a bunch of Funko Pop stuff. Buy one, get one free. 25% off RC cars. You know, this this aisle, you know, 60% off. And I kept Buy an ask- RC car, get an RC cola. Yes. Uh, and I kept asking people, and this has been going on for months now, I was like, are you guys hear anything about Hastings? Are they going out of business? What's going on? And everyone was like, no, I haven't heard anything about it. That would never happen. Hastings is a great store. And I would agree that it's a great store. But when I start seeing odd sales like that and discounting action figures for 75% off, something tells me that someone's trying to bleed inventory or get rid of inventory as quickly as they can to make some money. And sure enough, on Friday, Hastings issued a statement that basically said they've been trying to overcome a business challenge and they just can't do it. And right now they are trying to seek a buyer and they have told all of their employees that at the end of 60 days, if they have not found a buyer, they will close their chain. Mm. Now for some people you might be going, ah, it's a books and everything store. Big deal for many people. It is the only comic book store in an area. And for us, it is our only physical comic book store in about a 200 mile radius. And so for a lot of people, Hastings clothing closing means hey, I'm going to lose access to comic books. I'm going to lose access to, you know, uh, the things that go with it. Maybe it's also a gaming store. So not only video games, but your board game location. Uh, for people who don't know, Movie Shop is also owned by the same parent company as Hastings. They've also started running, um, about two years ago, I guess, they started running comic books in their store as well. That chain will also probably close down in the next 60 days if someone is not, if a buyer is not found. Uh, so what are you guys' reaction to this? Is this a big deal, not a big deal? I think it's a big deal in a couple of ways, but it's it's kind of a big deal in a in a smaller pond. Not, you know, certainly not to discount it, because when our Hastings closed maybe two, three years ago, it did put several dozen people out of work. I mean, it did change the ability to access the books, the collectibles, the games that you would get. Even in Topeka, which is one of the larger cities in Kansas, which is like saying it's the hubcaps on the tractor. But I think that it's one of those things that people will try to downplay because, oh, it's just games or it's just books. And you don't need to read the way you need to go and have food. And I think that it is a big deal. It's kind of a shame that it's not going to be a huge deal, especially if you look at, you know, the borders chain is gone. Mm-hmm. Stevens Stevens B Dalton closed sometimes. Only, only exists in only exists in airports and uh, strange pocket dimensions. Yeah. So if you look at how many actual nationwide gaming book type, you know, everything store chains are still out there, as opposed to the overarching presence of your W Marts and your Targets and the such, it's kind of a shame because those specialty stores do fill a particular niche in an ecosystem. Like you're saying, 
you are going to have to probably drive or, you know, order your comics. Mm-hmm. Or, the, you know, the nearest comic store is at least 200 miles from you if this closes, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the closest comic book store, physical comic book store, would be Wichita. Oh, my God. Or, that's like three and a half hours. Yeah, or Topeka. Now, the one in Salina, uh, the guy operates it out of his house, and he doesn't mm-hmm. – it's not like just a come in and browse kind of thing. It's like you have to place your order, and he will ship them to you. So I still have an outlet to buy my comics – I believe there's uh, one I, in Manhattan. But if I want to go and drive, well, it's just about as far to Manhattan as it is to. Um, it's, an, it's another hour from Manhattan to Topeka, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's well about the same. Topeka. It's about the same uh, distance. So the the weird thing is, and here's the other thing that people may not know: um, Hastings was bought in 2014 by Draw Another Circle LLC, uh, which is uh, Joel Weinshanker. And he owns the WizKids company, NECA. Uh, they produce all of the action figures. And, of course, WizKids does all of the Dice Masters and other gaming stuff. So if uh, Draw Another Circle, I don't know how that impacts WizKids and NECA's uh, NECA's um, bottom line, if it does at all, or if it's just a separate companies altogether. But I could also spell danger and trouble for two other companies as well. Uh, uh, Draw Another Circle bought... Um, Hastings from the Marmaduke fa- family in 2014 for 200 and, or not 240, $24 million. If the, um, in the notice that they sent out on Friday to all of their employees, uh, they said, I know, let's see, uh, you, this letter is serving to, uh, uh, serve as the official warn act notice that let, lets you know that your job may be eliminated in the next 60 days. Now, while that may be a big deal for, the local stores in itself, because um, our store is pretty big. Um, they probably employ two dozen people, but the main warehouse, which I believe is in Austin, Texas, or in, uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, they employ 375 people at their warehouse. Mm-hmm. And so, I think this is going to be kind of a kind of a bad thing going forward. Rodrigo, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, it's it's interesting because Hastings is pretty much the only store of its type for miles there in, in Hayes, Kansas. I mean, it competes with GameStop and it competes with Walmart, but not directly. No, because the toys are totally yeah, different. Now, yep, GameStop different. would be the closest uh, competitor for, for video games. You're right. Right. So, yeah, it, it competes with everybody in one particular area, but it's the only one. Basically, it's the only one-stop shop for entertainment. Um mm-hmm. They're around Hayes, and it's interesting because I feel that if that Hastings wasn't part of a greater Hastings family, it wouldn't have any problems. You know, it's like it's one of the the, the issue is that the parent company's in trouble, even if it, each individual satellite is doing fine. Um, you might lose your store because somewhere at the top they're not managing the money or they're kind of uh, not getting in enough. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's it's like an interesting um, side effect of that business model, right? Whereas Hastings comes in and basically prevents local stores from opening and doing that and then just dies on its own like the aliens from uh, – from uh war of the worlds right yep and and then then that's it and then it's gone and you know then maybe other stores can open or take over that niche but yeah it's it's just really weird that independent of your local hastings it might die because the parent company hasn't been uh 
hasn't been doing things quite right. Well, but to say that our local Hastings is doing fine is I wouldn't I wouldn't categorize that as a really? great thing either because since you've left, uh, the quality of the merchandise in the store has gone down. Uh, they're not getting a lot of new things. They haven't. And of course, this would be indicative of the main company not being able to pay suppliers and yeah. pay their pay their stuff. But I mean, they end up with a, a literally right now, there is probably a 40, 40 foot long aisle that is four shelves tall. And then uh, it is nothing but pop vinyls. And those yeah. pop vinyls are stacked one on top of each other, three deep. So you uh-huh. can kind of do the math at how many pop vinyls they are back ordered on or they have backed up on that they're now selling for two for one mm. kind of thing. And um, I said, well, they've got 25% off RC cars. Let me just pick one of these up. We bought it home, got it for a great price. Controllers busted. So mm. now I've got to figure out how we got to get that going. Here's the other thing that's kind of concerning. Uh, Hastings is, I believe, uh, Diamond Comic Distributor's biggest comic book client. If you've got 126 stores nationwide and you're buying comics for that on a weekly basis, that's a lot of comics being shipped. And I'm pretty sure that Hastings is their biggest is their biggest client. We've already seen that comic book sales dipped drastically last month uh, compared to the month before and the year before. With Hastings potentially closing the next 60 days, that could be make a huge impact on Diamond as well. So this might have a bigger ripple uh, yeah. effect in the industry. What's a solution? What do people? What should people do if they don't have a, a local comic shop anymore? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, there are. Options I mean, there's Comicsology. Yeah, there are options to order your books by mail. Um, I'm I'm really not familiar with them because I've always been buying my books either locally or lately. I've been buying almost all of my stuff digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen finally wore me down on that, but sure, you know. Stephen will finally wear you down on everything. Just yep. so you know. Oh, not everything, but many things. But most importantly, I think that, you know, it it really is tough because you want to make sure that you are supporting local business wherever you can. I know, for instance, that we now actually have multiple comic stores in town. Well, in Topeka, maybe, but in Lawrence, no, because um, yeah. there they used to have Atomic Kitty. I guess it's still there. Astro but Kitty. Yeah. Astro Kitty. It is now inside of a retro gaming store on mass street upstairs. Mm-hmm. And if you go in, you don't know that it's located upstairs um, because when they're closed, they put a giant standee in the stairwell. So you don't even know that there's a stairwell there. Mm-hmm. So you gotta follow the signs when they're open. Yeah. Comic book stores. I, man, I hate seeing them close. I really do. Um, but sometimes location and, and business practices are forcing them to close on their own. Not by anybody well, else's mean, uh, hand. Astro Kitty still has their weekly D and D. They still have you know gaming nights. They have their encounters groups for D and D. They have stuff that they do. And I know there's another game store over there. There's a I think there's a Boom Comics in Lawrence. I know there's one in Manhattan, but it's one of those things where if you have no options at all. And you, you don't want to or can't afford to drive, you may have to either go digital or find a way to order them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even know if, if Mile High or the, the comics people that I, what was it, Westfield Comics that I used to order from back when I ordered them through the mail in 1992. So probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, these options do exist. Um, you also have the ability to maybe strike up a relationship with a gaming store that is further away, something like you have, Stephen. 
where you know you're going through that store, you're ordering through oh, you that mean a comic store. Book store. Yeah, comic book yeah, store. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. Hopefully, in the next sixty days, they find a buyer. I don't know who would want to buy it if they are in that kind of a turmoil. Well, and 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 it's possible that it would be multiple places. It right? could be. That they could be like a good okay, chance that they could sell off um, their movie shop to one group. They could sell off the Hastings to another group. They could sell off another. Uh, Do they own their GameStop other... or just movies? no? They don't own. They don't own Movie Shop, but they don't own GameStop. Okay, it could be like ah, I will give you everything north of the Mason Dixon line. It it could yeah. be that. Yeah. I mean, it could be that. Let's uh, let's hope that they're able to find something because I'd like to see our store stick around. I'd like to see it improve. I mean, our local store drastically improved when uh, Hastings made the firm uh, comic book commitment back in I want to say 2010, somewhere around there, 2010 2011. And um, they started bringing in, in fact, they probably have one of the larger back issue collections right now, too, because every store then had racks and racks and racks and boxes and boxes of back issues. Uh, So, um, you know, they may be a maybe something to to look at if someone has, I guess they probably only need twenty four million dollars. It's not a whole lot uh, to pick up and run. So here's hoping. Depending Other, on your definition of a whole lot, yeah. Well, compared to like LinkedIn, which was bought for what twenty four billion dollars or something from yep. Microsoft this week. Yep. So, um, yeah, the twenty four million is is not a whole lot. Uh, some people had suggested, oh, maybe Amazon pick it up. I don't think Amazon would pick it up. It doesn't doesn't do them any good to do that. Um, but uh, just turn them all business model. Just yeah. turn them all into FedEx stores. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows. All right. Uh, listeners, if you want to f- uh, share your feedback on this, head over to Majorspoilers.com. And I realize Hastings isn't a big thing for a lot of people, but I know that there are many people who rely on Hastings. So we thought we'd share that news with you this week. Uh, but we'd love to hear your thoughts. Head over to Majorspoilers.com on that. Uh, you can also find out more about uh, Mr. T and the A-Team coming to LEGO Dimensions. And uh, soon, hopefully, we'll find out what role Donald Glover is playing in that new Spider-Man movie. I pity, until pity then, the fool. Until then, let us do some reviews. Reviews. Uh, Rodrigo, why don't you start us off this week with First Hero Wednesday's Child. These are all new comics out this week that we will be reviewing. Yeah. Yeah. So the First Hero Wednesday's Child number one. I was like, oh, it's named First Hero. And then it's the number one. This will be great. First first thing ever and it's like actually this is the third volume of first yeah. hero yeah yeah <laughs> so i was i was jumping into some nonsense here um but i didn't realize that it's not it's not too bad um so this comes at the end of like some crazy crossover for action lab um it's like the action verse yeah, the action verse mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um which i didn't read um but uh even even not knowing that going into this comic, there's really not that much that it doesn't explain. I mean, it is like the beginning of a new volume and it kind of runs you through everything that's going on. So basically, uh, this guy, Jick, has the power to blast things, um, which, you know, is not that uh, crazy of a superpower. But he lives in a world where usually people who have superpowers turn evil basically they just turn into super bad killer people um and he's like the only one who doesn't do that so he's not the first hero in that um he's the first person to or only person to have superpowers but rather he's the first one to not turn evil (laughs) Uh, 
So uh, in this story, he is contacted by someone who might be another person who doesn't, who has superpowers and doesn't go nuts. But then there's a lot of like mysterious, like, uh, you know, they make contact and then afterwards like, oh yeah, I talked to Jake and ha 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 ha, he doesn't suspect nothing. So um, there's, there's some, uh, some weird stuff going on there. Um, this is not really a book that I'm too interested in. The, the premise is okay. Um, and again, it being, you know, uh, the start of a new volume, it gets you up to speed. Uh, but it's, it's just not for me. The art is good. Um, really, it gets along pretty well on character design because um, uh, all the characters look distinct from each other all the characters look interesting um and it is just it is largely just people wearing normal clothes uh but it manages to keep that going and keep that interesting right it's like no gaudy superhero stuff or anything like that just Mm -hmm. you know it's like a red-headed guy and like some uh flannel and like the main character just has like a white t-shirt or like a white uh button-up shirt with like the sleeves rolled up and like that's kind of how he runs around and you know like it looks good it looks fine um, I'm going to give it two and a half slices of meatloaf. It's, you know, just straight on the line for me. Um, I'm not super interested in picking it up, but if I see it, if I see issue two come across, I'd, I'd maybe flip through it. Um, again, nothing wrong with it. I don't, I don't mean to put it down, but it's kind of not my thing. All right, cool. That's fine. Uh, Matthew, you have a comic book from Archie Comics this week. I do. Archie Comics Jughead number seven, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art this month by Derek Charm, who I was not familiar with, but I actually really like. Would you I'm say his art of, is charming? I would not. But oh. more importantly, <laughs> sorry. Uh, On principle. Man, you I've know so never much jokes, heard Matthew, of him. Uh, you know what? After <laughs> six years, I owe you just one or two. Now, Jughead has been – no, that's not my one. Jughead, he said, beginning his sentence for the ninth time, has been a fascinating series. The new Archie stuff has all been really, really interesting and strangely new and different and wacky and modern while being very traditionally true to what Archie has always been, which is an incredibly difficult proposition. And this issue keeps that up. It starts with Juggy. On his summer vacation, after banishing the evil principal Stanger, stuck at home until Mr. Jones tells him to get the hell out of the house and go do something summery. And it's a really wonderful interaction. He sends him off to find Archie because Kevin is already off with his dad in the woods somewhere and having to eat squirrels. Uh, So he finds Archie. He talks Archie into taking some vacation time in a very, very clever and awfully gross Jughead fashion. I'm not going to spoil it. Let's just put it this way. Chip Zdarsky outdid himself with this. And so Jughead and Archie decide that they're going to go and hang out at the cabin that Dilton's family has that he said that they could always spend time at if they wanted. Now, one thing about this issue that I love, and I had not seen because I, I haven't noticed it in the Archie book, Archie still has his jalopy. But his jalopy now seems to be like a 2002 Nissan yeah. ZX held mm-hmm. together with crazy glue and tape. Yeah, that's been a main thing in the main Archie comic. Has it? I yeah, haven't noticed Betty, it. Betty's always tinkering around with it. That's cool. Archie, you know, traditionally Archie's jalopy was like a Model T or something. But when they get to the cabin, they discovered the worst possible thing ever. Because they came to the woods 
for no jerks. And they meet immediately a jerk. And the first words out of Jughead's mouth are, this guy's like a muscled up Reggie Mantle. At which point Reggie Mantle shows up and says, I'll have you nerds know I've been working out all summer. And what are you doing up here at the Mantle family reunion? Every member of the Mantle family is a jerk. And it is truly lovely to behold. And they're all wearing numbered shirts, which I think is wonderful, too. Reggie's is number one and muscle bound cousin is number two and grandpa is number 61. And, of course, Juggy and Archie are tortured immediately, completely, by every single member of the Mantle family, from great-grandpa Mantle, who gives Archie a wedgie, to a little five-year-old Mantle who goes and does the ultimate unforgivable sin in slapping the burger out of Jughead's hand. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. I really love this issue. I got to tell you. And as it ends... There's another thing that happens. And again, I don't want to spoil this because half the fun of reading these books is not expecting where they're going in many ways. Suffice to say that it goes a place that I go, oh, now we're in big trouble. And the final page reveal is a, a coming next issue, which Zdarsky immediately goes, wait, if I do that, I lose my job. OK, maybe that doesn't happen next issue. We'll all find out in Jughead number eight. I'm not saying that they maybe get eaten by a bear. I'm not saying they'd not get maybe eaten by a bear, but I am saying three and a half slices of meatloaf for Jughead number seven. I really enjoy this book. I like this book in the way it reminds me of all the Jugheads I read when I was a kid. It reminds me of every Jughead you've ever, ever read in every line when you're bored at the Dillons. But it does really interesting, new, funny, modern things with it. And at that point, you know, you can't go wrong. I cannot believe that in the year 2016, Archie is giving us some of the most creative and entertaining stuff on the stands. It's like black is white, up is down, and, and short is long, and I don't know what to make of it. But I do know this is a funny book, and so you should definitely check it out. Cool. All right. Uh, also out this week from DC Comics is Titans Rebirth Number 1, written by Dan Abnett with uh, art by Norm Rapmund, and I'm guessing coloring by Brett Booth. Uh, this is another of the Rebirth titles, and it kind of follows on, well, it follows on the heels of two things. Titan's Hunt, which we've mm -hmm. talked about on the Dueling Review podcast and elsewhere on the Major Spoilers website. And, of course, DC Universe Rebirth, which sees the return of Wally West to the DCU and this greater conspiracy that something out there is manipulating us and making us dance like little puppets. And, oh, by the way, those people have also removed me from all of your memories. So... <laughs> I guess following up from um, Flash number one, Flash Rebirth number one that we reviewed last week on the Dueling Review podcast, mm -hmm. uh, Wally has decided to make his way to uh, see the Titans and try to figure out what's going on and hope that they remember who he is. And, of course, no one remembers who he is. So a lot of this issue is, hey, who's this guy that has broken into Titan? Uh, I don't think they're in Titan's Tower. Where are they at? Are they back in um, Rhode Island or whatever? Under a rock. Yeah, I believe they're back in <laughs> like Grover's Corners or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Nightwing comes in and is like, hey, what are you doing, man? And and uh, Wally West is like, Dick, don't you know? And he goes, how do you know I'm Dick? And so they fight. <laughs> and then uh, as the rest of the Titans come in, they're all fighting. And then as Wally starts to touch each one of them, a spark springs from his hands and strikes them. And then we start getting these little flashbacks of what they consider important moments in um, Wally – 
really being a friend to each of them or a lover or whatever to each of the each of the Titans. And uh, so then they're like, oh, Wally, where have you been? And uh, I don't ever remember you, but I know who you are. And so then Wally starts to explain what's going on. And then that's where the issue ends. So this is kind of a uh, a taste of what, you know, what's happened. It's kind of a refresher course for anyone that doesn't know who Wally West is and his relationship with the Titans. Uh, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the story. I thought it was kind of cool that we, I mean, it is pretty typical heroes meet. They don't know each other. They fight. They work out their differences. The end kind of thing. But I think it's it's kind of resetting Wally West in the DCU. It's certainly de-aging him by 10 years at least. And because now he is not uh, connected with um, uh, Linda Park anymore, we I think we're probably going to see as the uh, story progresses, we're going to see that love story start to come back into play over time. What does this mean? I mean, um, one of the things I had mentioned during Titans Hunt was um, what was the guy's name? That was the big bad. Mr. Twister. Mr. Twister. I said, oh, he's probably going to be like the psycho pirate of this whole rebirth event. And Mr. Twister's name does come up multiple times in this issue about, oh, he's the one manipulating everyone's mind. He is someone that we shouldn't trust. Um, So there may still be some Mr. Twister action before this is all said and done. Uh, The art is fine. I'm okay with uh, with Wally's costume. It's all red, uh, except for a uh, the flash logo in the middle is silver. And then he's got uh, instead of a gold lightning bolt for his belt, he's got a silver lightning bolt for his belt. Um, the thing Does that I still have the open headpiece. Yeah, and the the top is open just like the original Kid Flash costume was, um, but it's all red except for that. So his hair pops out at the top, and I'm okay with that. Um, it feels very wild stormy for some reason. Uh, I don't know it's, why. It's Brett Booth's yeah, design yeah. work. Uh, I am not a big fan of the coloring in this issue because the way they color Wally's costume is it looks like it's like got purple and blues and silvers all over it when it really doesn't. And I think what they're trying to suggest is that the costume is super shiny and super reflective and it's reflecting all of the light around the room on his costume, which looks kind of ridiculous and silly, but the costume idea I'm okay with if they're trying to separate with all of these 20 different flashes running around with the name flash, uh, separating them by leaving the top off. Uh, I'm okay with, uh, it's, I think it's a good kind of refresher issue, uh, and I and I really want to follow these adventures of Wally West to see how he copes with his return to the DCU, and more importantly, how DC Entertainment uh, deals with Wally West's return to the DCU. I liked it. I say pick it up. It's uh, I'm giving it four out of five slices of meatloaf. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There are some reviews for everyone. If you want to read more reviews, I think we have up to date now. We have all of the first week rebirth issues out there i know uh wayne posted a um uh, aquaman rebirth today and so that should Mm -hmm. have gotten all of the first week's rebirth stuff in this is the start of our second uh, week of rebirth trying Mm -hmm. to see what other rebirth uh, issues come out this week Uh, batman number one titans rebirth green arrow superman green lanterns and of course scooby apocalypse number two comes out this week those are probably the big ones from uh from dc this week in regards to rebirth Is Wonder Woman one this week? No, Wonder Woman was uh, last week's uh, Wonder Woman Rebirth was last week. So the next one is next week. So a lot of the the issues like Batman is biweekly. Wonder Woman is biweekly. Superman is definitely biweekly. I don't remember if uh, Green Lantern is biweekly or if it's if it's Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. And then you have the Green Lanterns. I forget how that works, but several. I think that is right where they alternate. And I'm pretty sure Aquaman is. is uh, bi-weekly as well. So be looking for that 
make sure your pocketbook is prepared for that. But on the plus side, everything's two ninety nine. If you want to check out other reviews that are not DC-related, make sure you head over to Majorspoilers.com. This week on Doodling Review, Matthew and I will be taking a look at Civil War II number two. Two. Or is it no- yeah, number two this week. Civil so War II number two, which makes four. Definitely want to uh, check that out in the um, in the listing. And then if you want to hear um, Zach and I talk about – what are we talking about? Not nice guys because we talked about that last week. Oh, we're going to be talking about a little film called Big in Japan. It's an independent film. That will come up this week on Zach on Film. Uh, this week, I give you a heads up on a Munchkin coloring book on Munchkin Land, and there's a whole lot more in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. What I'm going to suggest is that everyone take the podcast challenge. I know it's summertime. You've got a lot more free time while you're mowing the grass or out walking the dog or whatever. Here's my suggestion to do to you. If you're not already listening to all of our podcasts, find one of our other podcasts that we do. There's seven or eight of them, and I want you to listen to... Uh, one show for a whole month. Just sample it. Try it out. And at the end of the month, if you don't like it, that's fine. Put it back. Try something else for another month. But what I want you to do is sample four episodes of any of our shows and not random episodes. Listen to four consecutive episodes. See what you like and hopefully you find something else new. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on at Major Spoilers and we love sharing it with you. It's all part of the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. All right. That is out of the way. Uh, let us get to the poll of the week. This week, we ask the simple question. Which fruit do you prefer more, apples or oranges? It's pretty straightforward. Matthew, what did you pick? Well, uh, of the two fruits chosen, the only option for me is oranges because I've never liked apples. And there's something about it texturally, I think, when you bite into it. Mm. When you're biting through that exoskeleton, like a, a giant crustacean it's or not something, quite an exoskeleton. Mm-hmm. Yep, I just I, I don't like know. The thing about it, though, is there are certain brands of apples that are less so. There's like these yellow orange ones that Widget used to get that I liked. Golden apples. I don't know. They're That's they're not they're golden. Called. They're not like yellow. They're orange. Like golden yellow, delicious. Kind of, yeah, like big yeah. yellow ones. But they're really, really good, except in as much as they're not as good as an orange. But the thing about an orange is an orange is a huge pain in the butt to peel. So if I was if you were saying what fruit do you like best, I'm gonna be like bananas. But no, that's the not the choice. Them, it says which do you prefer more? More right. apples or oranges. You're literally arguing apples and oranges. Yep. I had to go with oranges. Yeah. Rodrigo, what about you? I like them both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that um, I've enjoyed, you know, Apple Apple's work in things like Death Note. Um, I'm uh, very happy for Orange's uh, <laughs> fame in these past few years since they get to be the new plaque. Um, but uh, I, I went I went with apples precisely because even though I really I greatly enjoy oranges, even navel oranges or even uh, mandarin oranges, there's kind of this barrier to a literal barrier to entry, um, in that I have to be okay with doing any amount of work. Whereas an apple, I can just bite into it, um, and that's about that. Uh, of course, the the main difference there is that at the end, I have something that I have to dispose of. Whereas with oranges, most of the disposal happens uh, up front, especially with these new uh, super mutant uh, oranges that don't even have any seeds. So, you know, it, it just kind of uh, 
it just kind of goes to uh, what would you prefer there? But the question of where I, I you think, want where you want your detritus to come in. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so I think there are lots of different types of apples, and they'll give you different tastes and textures. Whereas most different types of orange tend to just kind of run the sweeter to more bitter uh, or more sour kind of uh, spectrum, whereas I think apples kind of go in, in more directions. So all around, if you told me that I could only eat one type of fruit between these two, I'd probably go with apples. Yeah. I, I really don't have a problem peeling oranges. I've, in fact, I peeled one today. I really enjoy eating oranges. I, uh, I like um, regular oranges, navel oranges, the little uh, clementine or- oranges, a blood orange, oh, also delicious, so yummy. I'm not a big fan of apple juice, apple cider kind of drinks, mm-hmm. um, but a Honeycrisp apple is the best of all apples, which is why they're the most expensive of all apples. Uh, even the, the Fiji apple or the Japanese, Fuji. Uh, a- the Fuji apple, um, even though that one may be expensive, the honey crisp is the best. And if you're ever going to dehydrate apples, I would suggest mm-hmm. the honey crisp because it just brings out the sweetness in it. Uh, can you the, dehydrate oranges? You can, but they kind of come out chewy. Yeah, citrus, and so you, you have to do yeah, it. Citrus you have to do in it general right. is very, yeah. Citrus usually don't get dehydrated because they are just like so much water by, by volume, you know? Yeah. They end up, they end up getting mm-hmm. really chewy and I don't know if you've ever had a dehydrated pineapple, but because of all the fibers oh, in, wow. it, the fibers in, um, in, um, oranges and, and pineapples and stuff, they kind of get kind of sharp in your mm-hmm. mouth. And I'm not talking about sure. like processed pineapple where it's chunked. And then, I don't know, candied or something and then dehydrated. I'm talking about pure dehydrated pineapples and oranges. Uh, Strawberries are also one that do not dehydrate well. Uh, They just kind of turn into a gummy mess. And you really have to dehydrate them a long time and add some other preservatives on them to really keep them fresh. And then the flavor of a dehydrated orange is just like too, too intense. You have to make sure that the orange is, is sweet when you do it. Because otherwise, if it's bitter, it just it burns your mouth basically when you taste it. Uh, apples, apples are a natural source of Prozac. So the and old cyanide adage, and the old adage of an apple a day keeps the doctor away may be right up there, which is why I pick the apple as my favorite fruit of the fruit that I prefer of, of those two. So there you go. Uh, so there you go, Matthew, um, two votes for apples, one vote for oranges. How has everyone else voted right now? 67 votes in total right now, 55% leaning towards the apple, mm-hmm. 45% to the orange, which means a difference of about, ooh, about five six votes, votes yeah. five, six votes. So yeah. this one can still go either way. I think the big question is really going to be, you know, you, you both touched on the variety thing. There yeah, are a lot there's more a good variety. varieties and shapes of apples than there are oranges because, I mean, an orange is named for being orange. Which is That's, interesting, which is interesting because the color orange did not exist until they discovered oranges. Well, yeah, until they had really got popularized by the by the fruit, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Which so is really odd. It's one of those, which came first, the orange or the orange? And it's like, they both came at the same time? Yeah, that's that's why that's why we talk about redheads, even though the majority of quote unquote redheads have orange hair mm-hmm. and also you know potentially why uh, say like something like the irish flag which is you know irish red why that was that would be considered a red even though i think by most uh um 
by most people's uh, categorization, that would definitely be orange. Mm-hmm. And now somebody's probably going to pop up. But Stephen, what about carrots? They've been around forever. Uh, until I forget when it was, uh, carrots were purple. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Dutch actually bred the carrot to be orange. And that's why we have orange carrots today. And I'm pretty sure that's also why we have white potatoes today, because I believe the original potato was a purplish blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, carrots so, uh, come in all colors. You can still buy blue and white and well, yeah. purple and white carrots. And I think green carrots as well. Yeah. So I just find that interesting about the color orange and the orange. I love them both. I mean, uh, nobody here in the household will eat oranges unless they're the halos, the little uh, clementine oranges that Mm -hmm. are super easy to peel and have no seeds. Um, But, yeah, I I just picked up all um, the clementines were not in stock at our store. Uh Oh, I think that's a sign our Walmart's going to go out of business. Um, Oh, stop. And uh, so I just picked up a bag of regular oranges. I don't have a problem peeling them. Just pop them in and eat them. Yum, yum, yum. But, uh, I get my I get my fruits in uh, like smoothies. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, they're easier to carry for me because I spend my day locked in a box with grandmas. Yeah, just put them all put them all in the blender before you go to work. Yeah, get the smoothies with that. You get the uh, banana, strawberry, banana, orange. Oh, that's good. And it's Tim, the orange that makes a difference. Tim says nothing beats a satisfying crunch of an apple. Oranges are too high maintenance. Uh, Ingrid says it really depends what variety of fruit are we talking about. Honeycrisp are really good. Delicious apples are dreadful. I would agree with that. How big are they? How messy are they? If oranges are, are hard to peel, are they blood oranges or caracaras? Those are really tasty. Man, Ingrid, you make fruit ripe? complicated. What time of year is it? Which, which is in season? Besides, I actually prefer pomegranates. That's not a question. And what about Naomi? Uh, Ray says, I find apples more varied in their use other, uh, in their use than oranges. Uh, for example, cooking with apples seems to offer more of a selection than cooking with oranges. Right. Mm. Uh, Frederick says apples as a new England native, I associate apples with the fabulous fall season, which includes treats such as caramel apples, hot apple cider, crispy apple donuts, and of course, warm apple pie topped with vanilla ice cream. Uh, Eric says there's a reason nobody asks for orange pie. (laughs) That is not true. I always ask. There is a place here in town that does a wonderful orange meringue. And it you know, there's, really I mean, I mean, if you've ever had orange preserves, they're not bad. They're just no. specific, but that's mm-hmm. basically what goes into pie anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, by the way, some of the most uh, amazing stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen those like little bottles of Fuji apple preserves. That is mm-hmm. like, that's really fantastic stuff. I don't know what kind of fancy foods you're eating up there in the Northwest. I, listen, listen, man, you know where I got these? I got this at Clemma's Apple Market in Russell, Kansas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fall is really, the summer, spring, summertime is great for oranges. Um, but then probably in about two weeks, the peaches will all come and season up in Denver. And so we'll get a buttload of uh, peaches down here and uh, the kids will uh, blow through the peaches very quickly. And then right around August, all the varieties of apples all the way through November will start filling up the stores and I will just pick through them and find some great ones. And um, that's when that price actually comes down on the Honeycrisp. So that's actually the best time to buy the Honeycrisp apple. But, I do love uh, a hot apple cider in the fall. Yeah, I don't know what it is about. I mean, to me, apple juice is just too sweet because of all the sugar and yeah. whatever is put in there. Apple cider is uh, uh, less I don't processed. know that they have to put like most juice that you get in the store is mostly pear juice, regardless of what yeah. you're actually buying. But, and that's because pear juice is like naturally super sweet. But cider, I, there's something about it, too, that I just I just don't care for. I mean, I'll drink it. I, I like applesauce. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like apple pie. In fact, I, uh, the farmer's market this week, I bought a very nice apple crisp that we uh, that we devoured. Um, but, 
man, there's something about those two drinks that I just can't stand. And I'm not a big orange juice drinker either, but that's more of my upbringing. Orange juice is one of those things where I will occasionally just have a craving and have to get a big bottle and drink all the orange juice. And then lay down and sleep for about three days. No, I'm not a bear, Stephen. <laughs> but the thing about it is it, it really is weird and it's cyclical. In the summer, you could not get me near an orange juice with a 10-foot pole. Because 105 degrees, I don't want to be, you know, drinking sweet, cloying, kind of glurpy mm-hmm. juice. Yeah, and orange juice is really sweet. That's that's one thing that people don't get a lot of the time is that they're like, oh, it's okay. I'm eating, I'm drinking fruit juice. And it's like, even if it's pure fruit juice without any sugar added, both apples and oranges sugar. have massive amounts of sugar in mm-hmm. them. Like, Na- that's, oh, yeah. that's what, yeah, that's, that's, that's why the they thing give to keep it. in mind is natural sugar versus processed sugar. Well, it doesn't matter. Like sugar, like if a diabetic drinks a whole bottle of orange juice, they're still going into a natural, perfectly (laughs) organic coma. Oh, sure. So, yeah, that is a that is just one of the downsides. So that's that's always that's something that like people don't think about. They have this. And it's exactly that thing that you brought up, Stephen, is that process versus natural thing is like, it's okay. This is good sugar. It's like, (laughs) yeah, no, it's sugar. It's still going to process. It's still going to go through your thighs if that's what you're worried about. And it's still going to give you a high and give you a crash. You need uh, some insulin is what you're going to need. When yeah. I go to my uh, in-laws house, uh, we always drink uh, fresh squeezed orange juice. They'll yeah. get up like an hour, an hour early and I'll just wake up and I'll just hear them grinding the orange juice out. And it's pretty good. I like uh, fresh squeezed. That's probably the only one that I like. So why would you do that though? Fresh squeezed is good. It tastes good. But that's like people, the people who get up a, an hour early to make breakfast. I'm like, dude, Denny's <sighs> is 10 minutes away. Terrible. Yeah, that's just scary. <laughs> also, yeah, they'll yeah. be up at four a.m. anyway. Yeah, they, they, they had dinner at four thirty and went to bed yeah. at six. They're hungry by then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, listeners, I want to point you to a super awesome deal from our friends over at Tweaked Audio. If you don't know what Tweaked Audio is, they're these great little uh, earbuds. You pop them in. They come in all different styles, varieties, colors, but they sound great. I've been biking with mine uh, for the last week, and uh, they don't come out. Still able to hear the traffic uh, as they uh, zip by, uh, but uh, these. Uh, Earbuds are designed for great music and talk. They're engineered for durability. And best of all, if you go to tweakedaudio.com, use the checkout code MAJOR, you're going to get 33% off your price. It's a great deal. And we want to thank Tweaked Audio for being a very long time, very cool sponsor of the Major Spoilers podcast. Hey, Steven. Yes. Do you know if that uh, applies to anything you purchase Any, at anything Tweaked you, Audio? Anything that you purchase at Tweaked Audio, use the checkout they, code MAJOR. I was looking through and they had some um, accessories too. Like they have cases and things like that. Oh, yeah, cool. So Storage yeah, bag. I was curious about that. Yeah. Yeah, do it. Go for it. I'm pretty sure it's anything at uh, tweakedaudio.com because they're awesome people. And I'm sure some, but one of them is listening right now and they will let me know if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's everything. <laughs> okay. Hopefully because the, wrong. Well, no, the, the, the new earbuds that I got, the sport earbuds, those Egon's? also, yeah, they also fall into that category. So I'm, okay. I'm going to imagine that. Hegonese, I believe it is in the classical Greek. Is that what it is? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but they, but they're orange she and gray. married Medea and murdered her children or something. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Let us switch gears now and go back, 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 all the way back to, what, 1995, 1996, when a little show debuted on the WWWB. Don't ever do that again. Nope, that's what they did. That was their thing in 95, 96. Hello, my honey. Hello, my baby. No, that's when it launched. 
But for everybody, I mean, even Sarah Michelle Gellar, I mean, you can go back and watch those old promos. Anybody who had a show on the WB had to do a promo where they were like, you're watching the dubba 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 WB. Um, so way back in the long time ago days, there was a little show that debuted called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it uh, followed kind of a sequel, a television sequel to the movie that didn't star Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, but had Buffy pick up and move from San Diego to sunny, what is it? Sunnydale, Sunnydale, Sunnydale yeah. where she met her new watcher and she had a bunch of friends and she had f- fun adventures and they went so on good. for many, 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 many years. And then a comic book started forming and they started continuing on from the, the, uh, where the series left off with season 10, season 11. I think they're about ready to start a season 12. But in all of that, Dark Horse Comics also said, hey, we want to tell a story that happened during the first year of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so we've got this four-issue trade paperback, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the high school years, Freaks and Geeks trade paperback that we are looking at this week. And um, I can, I guess I can get behind the Freaks and Geeks um, tag on this. Yeah, it's an intentional reference, I think. Sure. Yeah, because it's, you have yeah. everybody trying to be cool and trying to be friends and trying to fit in. And it's not just Buffy and, and Willow and Xander, uh, but it's also some vampires, Matthew. Some geeky vampires? I think so. Actually? I mean, they, they do role-playing games. They want to be yeah. they want to be cool. But uh, every time they go somewhere, they're never cool. Even when they go to the vampire club that's only supposed to be for vampires, an exclusive club, they're kicked out. Well, it's exclusive, but exclusive to them. They are excluded. But yes, and of course, the the de facto leader of the nerd vampires comes up with a plan. She says that the cool kids will like her if she only murders the Slayer. Oh, man, that's like uh, the plot of every high school musical. Yeah, it happened in the craft. If only we can if only we can play like Slayer, we will be the cool kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have you ever heard Slayer? <laughs> there was, I can okay. give a bass guitar to the cat. Oh, never mind. There was there was this really. You guys remember MTV VJs? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so one of them. Remember, was this guy. Math, Matthew and I are old, so yes. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> we were around this, when MTV this was, launched. This was a broader. Like I'm setting up this topic. Okay. Uh, one okay. of the like one of the latter day uh, VJs was. This, kid like this really dumb kid named jesse and they Mm -hmm. did this whole promo about how he was really excited that basically they were going to have on his show sarah michelle geller as a host uh, or Mm -hmm. as a guest Mm -hmm. and he did this whole promo talking about how excited he was that slayer was coming and he was going to get to interview them and then there was like this other band called buffy the vampire that he hadn't heard of it's just like just went on and on and on it was like and i remember seeing this promo like 20 times because back in the day i was actually watching mtv because they actually played music. Heard the Fergie. <laughs> that would be 1999, man. How old yeah. are you? Uh, 33. Yeah. That was Jesse Camp, by the way. Uh, he's yeah. a ter- terrifying human being. Just So uh, how does this plan go for the vampires, Rodrigo? It goes it actually starts going kind of well once they get into mean girls territory like they basically come come at the slayer straight up and in a very uncharacteristic uh, way buffy doesn't just murderize them immediately uh, that's actually the only real problem that i have with this book but we can get into right. that later right um 
And uh, but so they start messing with her. They're like, hey, your friends don't actually like you, man. And then they're like, oh, vampires away. And then they run away. And then she's like, oh, no, my vampire, my friends don't like me because the vampire said so. And then Buffy starts acting super weird. Yeah. Well, and to to their credit, they are undead minions of evil, but they actually overheard a conversation between Xander and Willow yeah. implying, you know, because Buffy states outright at the beginning of this that she used to be like Cordelia in the Mean Girls and this in is, her old school. And this because of first season, Cordelia is just this right. uh, very petty, mean person. Uh, that Xander right. is totally in love with. But at the beginning yeah. of this uh, trade paperback, she's walking down the high- hallway and just basically brushing them off again, Mean Girls style. Um, right. And so, yes, Buffy was like, yeah, I kind of used to be that way or not didn't used to be that way, but I used to be more popular and used to be able to do things. And that has Willow kind of freaked out about. Maybe she'll just maybe she doesn't like us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, justifiably so from the teenage mindset. When when you're a teenager, you have these questions. And by teenager, I mean I'm 45 and I still have these moments. But it it seemed like it made sense in character as Buffy is a new person at their school mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Xander and Willow have this established relationship going back to the Yellow Crayon incident in kindergarten. But Buffy is the new girl, and they're not entirely sure of her. And I really like the way that sort of plays out where they have an expectation, they have a belief about her, but they don't know enough to not question it when people say, well, maybe she is just a mean girl. You have that moment, and it really works, I think, dramatically at this point in the series. If you think back to what's going on in season one, they don't even know Angel's a vampire yet at this right. point. Yeah, there's oh, fact- by the way— 15-year-old spoilers. Yeah, there's also a, uh, <laughs> a reference to that where they're trying to say, oh, you know, we're making friends with different people. And uh, uh, this is also back when Willow was still interested in Xander as a love interest. Mm-hmm. And um, she's Willow makes a reference to Buffy about, oh, what about that hot, smolder, steamy guy that keeps popping out at odd times? And she goes, oh, yes, that guy is way 25 or 35 <laughs> and dating an underage uh, high schooler. Yeah, he's dreamy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. As well. He's actually 265 years old, which is even creepier. In the end, uh, the evil vampire leader thinks that she has a plot to finally bring Buffy down by summoning a demon. And in order to summon Uh the demon, she must sacrifice her other vampire friends, which means she's not really that good of friends with them. No, Uh, she's a terrible person. Yeah, she is really a terrible person. And as you might expect, the spell doesn't go quite right. All the vampires are dead. Buffy slays the demon. Everybody goes home as best friends. The end. Until next week when Joss uh, Whedon has some other plot device up his When a demon comes out of the internet. (laughs) When a evil teacher lays eggs and controls Xander's mind. When Jack Ritter turns out to be a robot. When Isaac falls in love with Cicely Tyson. When the entire city of Sunnydale comes crashing down into the Hellmouth. When Fonzie jumps his motorcycle entirely over Arnold's. <laughs> when the sister that no one ever knew that Buffy had suddenly becomes a thing and nobody really wanted that to happen. When the when Taco the Riddler... Bell kid goes is actually a werewolf. Yes, yes. <laughs> when the Riddler traps Batman and Robin on top of a giant cake and lights them on fire like candles. Man, you've never seen an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, have you? That well, never happened in Buffy. Every episode of Buffy the Vampire I love, Slayer. I love Buffy. That's, that's such a good show. So the first question then is, does mm-hmm. this trade paperback, and it's only four issues long, it's very quick to read. Does this feel like 
a first year Buffy episode. No, but why not? not? It feels like a shoujo manga adaptation of a first year Buffy episode in that it focuses on the emotional relationships between Buffy and her friends. It has all of the demons and the the vampires and the stabity stabity, and it has Giles in it being smart and Buffy being heroic and Willow being all, you know, sweet and good and kind. But it doesn't necessarily feel like a season one Buffy plot because Buffy is a show that suffers extremely from what I like to call early installment weirdness. And the first season of Buffy isn't really indicative of the Buffy series as a whole. It's kind of like that first season of, uh, uh, what is that thing with the, the young uh, Clark Kent Smallville, in that there's, there's some Monster of the Week stuff going on in that first season that kind of you know changes out. But I think it works for me as a Buffy story, knowing what I know about seven years of Buffy 20 years down the line. It feels like a decent retconned continuity implant telling us a story that certainly could have happened in between the episode, you know, where Xander's teacher laid uh, praying mantis eggs and the one where he was, you know, a a swimming star or something. Rodrigo, what about you? Did you feel that this uh, fell in line with the first season, Buffy? Uh, I mean, it, it definitely kind of in retrospect, it, it's 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 definitely a Buffy story. And in fact, it's I found it to be so in line that it actually came across kind of bland to me. Right. It's like yeah, yeah. Um, this story is so is, is pretty concerned with like fitting in perfectly into the early Buffy universe that it mm-hmm. doesn't. It doesn't make any ripples or shake anything up or anything. It is something that actually does just kind of fit perfectly in inside that, you know, early Buffy universe to the point where it could be there or not be there. Yeah. I think the weird thing was that I don't remember the first season having so much vampire stuff going on. I mean, vampires would show up. Yes, that was the thing that they killed and other monsters, etc. But I don't mm-hmm. remember the whole vampire nightclub thing because I thought it was like mid-season or into the fir- towards the end of the first season when the vampire yeah. lord showed up in his limousine and sucked the kid out of the Burger King drive-thru or whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, the other thing that kind of pulled me out of this being a uh, episode was the giant demon at the end because you wouldn't have been able to do that with a WWWB budget. budget. Yeah. So that was kind of weird, but also knowing that the comic books need to be a little bit different and need to go a little bit over the top. I was okay with the demon part. I will kind of agree that it was somewhat bland Mm -hmm. and a little bit predictable. Um, But I think that's kind of what the first season of Buffy was kind of about. Season one of Buffy had the master Right. Who was the the guy in the leather suit. And I think he was there the, for season two as well. I think the master was defeated in season was one. He? But I okay. mean, because I want to say because in season two, that's when Spike came around. Spike and um, Drusilla. Drusilla, yeah. But you, you, when you get down to it, a lot of those first – the first season is really short too. It's mm-hmm. only like 10, 12 episodes. A lot of those early episodes really are kind of – 
episodic monster of the week things because there's that invisible girl episode that falls in there. There's the episode that, where the biology teacher is replaced by a praying mantis monster. Is it in the first epi- is it in the first season where uh, Xander and a bunch of other kids get turned into hyenas? I oh, think I that's yes, that is early on because I want to say so. Yes, because that's where Willow still has a crush on him, and Xander and his hyena pack start act, acting like uh, super jerks. Basic, Su- super super jerks, bros. and he pu- he puts the hurting on Willow, and that's what makes Buffy wants to kill him. So mm, yeah, okay. That's all, I, a very, all I remember is: does this episode have Cordelia in it or not have Cordelia? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not a lot of Cordelia in season no, one. No, not so in, you may not not have in been season one. Attention. So there were probably times where I was kind of tuned out. Cordelia and Harmony and uh, the other girl who I don't even know if she had a name were kind of just recurring Veronica Lodge characters mm-hmm, throughout season mm-hmm. one. And it was it's only, really season three, I think, when Cordelia. Cordelia no, Cordelia starts to become uh, more important in the story after the Praying Mantis episode. Because that's mm-hmm. when she starts uh, starts really understanding what's going on and she starts following them around going, OK, what are you guys doing? This is weird. And and starting to question and open her eyes more. So it was after that episode. She's that trying things, to bust them. Well, not bust them, so, but just trying so to bustable. figure it. Just trying to figure it out. So yeah. Anyway, so let's get back to the, the comic book. The young vampire, the anointed one. Yeah. Let's get back to He's the comic true. book. Uh, so in this comic what, book, uh, here's one thing that I didn't care for. I uh-huh. I was okay with the manga art, except for the noses freaked me the hell out. Because it's almost like every time you see a nose, you're looking right up into it. Like everybody's noses are turned up instead of just down. Even when you're like looking at them from above, their noses are like turned up at you. And it's like, this is a freaky weird stuff. So the noses just bothered the crap out of me this entire time. So the art was kind of hit and miss for me. See, I wasn't bothered by that because I felt like that was an intentional stylistic choice. Well, I'm sure. I mean, sure it is. But it was weird. Ah, but you're but, not looking up everybody's noses there either. Yeah, you are, if you do it right. And, you know, Gil Kane made us look up Spider-Man's nose at five times an issue. But, uh, again, that's that's something where if it bothers you, obviously it's something that's perfectly legit in terms of bothering you. I think for me, what it comes down to is, do you remember, and this is a, a slight digression, when the Batman 66 comic came out, and my first response was, holy moly, Batman is doing superheroic hero stuff that Adam West never did because right. stuntmen weren't that good. I felt a little bit of that in this because Buffy does some really amazing superhuman comic book style shtick. Yeah, and it's all it's – all, I mean if this were TV, this would be all a budget thing. Right. But it's also a question of – it would be difficult to have you know, the whichever uh, wonderful – person it is that dresses up as Buffy during the fight scenes, get thrown 30 feet and smash through a stone headstone. That would be certainly possible. I think you could do it, you know, with practical effects, but it would be difficult. And I think it might even be dangerous. That's my only real complaint about this is what it comes down to is I don't feel like it can feel like an episode of Buffy, but I'm also kind of fine with that. I like the fact that this feels like this feels like a take on Buffy done from a specific perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's like a cover of the Beatles in French. First of all, it's it's the Beatles, so it's kind of awesome. But moreover, you have to appreciate the effort put into it to do a translation that that comes through in rhymes. And 
you know, there's there's a bit in here where Giles shows up driving his little uh, little Citroen and crashes into the villain to help save the day. And I'm like, that's a nice attention to detail to actually draw the crappy car that Giles had in season one. Yeah. You know, Sophie, uh, Sophia Crawford is the stunt double for uh, Buffy in the first couple of seasons. So, yeah, and is maybe she the, the one, one who is there. There's one stunt woman who is considerably more endowed than Buffy. Right? <laughs> I don't know. And I was listening at one point, Joss Whedon was doing the commentary and he's like, oh, Buffy's got her fighting boobs on. Mm. Rodrigo, yes. what, what did you not care for in this uh, in this comic? Uh, well, aside from the fact that, you know, the comic very early sets up that Buffy just like tears through vampires like they're nothing. And then later on, she for some reason decides to have a conversation with them. And I felt that was weirdly out of character. Um, really, it's just that there was kind of nothing to this story. like. It doesn't explore the relationship between Buffy and Willow and Xander too much because the show did that, right? Mm-hmm. It, it it can't be the moment that Willow and Buffy become friends. It can't be the moment that Xander's like, oh, yeah, Buffy's just not ever going to be into me or Cordelia's not ever going to be into me or whatever, right? Like, it, you can't have those big, impactful emotional moments because those actually happen in the show. Um, there's kind of... when I got to the end of this, I was kind of like, I wish that this was just like a separate thing. Like, and like, you know, we're all comic book nerds here. Like another take on Buffy, uh, another Buffy thing. And I think it would be able to come into its own. I mean, I like all the little references, like Buffy actually making a call with a corded phone that's attached to a wall. It's like, okay, I get it. It's the nineties. It's cool. Um, but you know, why not just make a new Buffy thing? And I, I'm I'm sure the reason is because the rights to Buffy are weirdly contentious as it is. But no, I mean, Dark Horse has all of the Buffy stuff. I mean, like I said, they've been doing season ten and eleven, and I'm pretty sure they're doing a season twelve. So they've got right. likeness rights. They've got uh, you know all of that stuff. I, I just yeah. think maybe they were like, hey, here's a story that is perfect for high school because it's dealing with fitting in and, and peer groups and that kind of it's, thing, as opposed to, hey, we're out of school and we're adults and we're trying to cope with being grownups. Yeah, that really, that's that's what that's the the only real problem that I had with it is that it's a spinoff comic. It's a comic that you get from, you know, scanning a Pepsi product or something like that. Right. It's like it's something that has to happen within the story, but can't change anything because mm-hmm. it'll mm-hmm. damage the story. Right. Yeah. The overall to, mythos, yeah. Sure. To some degree, that actually works as the strength because if you come in – like I didn't expect anything out of this because a lot of times those early Buffy comics didn't do anything for me. But what I found in this was it felt like you know a cute little interpersonal emotional story about friends coming to terms with each other that you could almost tell anywhere if you remove the trappings of, oh, yeah, one of them you know murders – deadly creatures in the night this could have been a story that you might see in an episode of degrassi (laughs) and i i liked that i felt like that kind of almost transcended the fact that it was buffy but it really what it felt like to me was a nice quiet story that didn't necessarily have a whole lot of high stakes or a whole lot of big dramatic moments but it had enough emotional heft that, yeah, what is this, 80 pages, 78, 80 pages? I was hooked. I was able to really, really delve into this and think about this and go, yeah, this is kind of neat. It's not an episode of Buffy from season one, but 
there's enough references at one point the the evil vampire girl is like yeah i got this on ebay online shopping is totally going to be a thing y'all sure sure you know a, a nice little moment where yeah it's kind of an unassuming story but it's one that engaged me in a way that a lot of times the old school buffy books didn't yeah i'm talking about pre-seasons yeah, season yeah, yeah. eight yeah sure, yeah. Sure. yeah cool uh bottom line for me is i didn't think this was horrible uh, I think if you want to go back and revisit a story that could have taken place during Buffy's first year uh, as a Slayer, then this might be worth something uh, checking out. I don't know if I would say go out and buy it. I would definitely say go out and check it out from your local library because libraries still kind of do that thing. And um, so, yeah, it was OK. Not the greatest, but definitely worth checking out from the library. Matthew, what about you? What's the cover price on this baby? Oh, I have no idea. I'm sure it is less. Uh, it's less than ten bucks. I'm gonna. I'm gonna bet. Let me look it up real I, quick. I will say to you this, faithful spoilerites, friends, Romans, countrymen: if this book is less than twelve ninety nine, absolutely, I will say go get it. If it's less than fifteen ninety nine, I would say go get it. If you love your Buffy or you love a nice, you know, kind of a high school manga type tale, it is ten ninety nine. Go buy this book because. It works as a Buffy story, kind of, kind of not. It works as a sort of supernatural story, but it works just as a little arc of kids trying to deal with each other and learning a little something and one of them being a total jerk and melting all her friends to summon a demon, which, you know, like you do, it happens. I'm not saying I haven't summoned demons by killing my friends. I'm just saying Steven's still alive. So, you know. Well, first you have to assume that I'm your friend, so there you go. Well, no, I was actually implying that you were the demon I summoned. Oh, I see. Hmm. But, uh, you know, stay with me here. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> Rodrigo, what about you? Final thoughts? Uh, this book exists in a weird place, a place where it's just like this little box that it's not allowed to get out of, but it exists the crap out of it uh, while it's in there. It's got, you know... It's got heart. Uh, I like the art. I think actually some of the issues that Stephen has with the nose is because Sarah Michelle Gellar has like a very specific kind of cute mm-hmm. little upturned nose. No, there are and, there are times specifically in the issue where it is spot on Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah, absolutely. It's like somebody did a really good job of essentializing Sarah Michelle Gellar in the 90s phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say the same thing for most of the characters, except Willow. I don't think they ever get the Allison Hannigan down, but no, not even um, a little bit. Yeah. But, um, it's something, I mean, it's something to look at. I would say if you either, if you really like Buffy or you would like a no strings attached Buffy book, which is hard to come by nowadays, a book that isn't going to call on you to know 17 years of continuity, um, definitely pick, pick this up. All right, there you go, everybody. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening, being part of the Major Spoilers experience. We are going to be back next week because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your things if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce me. Shield. I just couldn't care if they bring back Craven. And I don't care if Spider Man's a clone. Stop spending all our cash on back issues of the Flash. Or I swear to God, you're gonna spend 
podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.